Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my two co-hosts and Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 30, the Steph Curry episode. And uh, fellas, we've got some pressure tonight. We can't miss with our takes. This is the, the Curry episode. How are we feeling? We're going to be firing away from downtown. I got a feeling we're going to hit a very high percentage tonight in honor of Steph. I love. Well, you don't miss too many threes from when you're sitting on the bench, so I'm I'm fine. (laughs) All right, well said. There will be. Well, let's get right into our opening tips. And Bruce, why not start us off here tonight? All right, thanks, Ross. Jalen Brown is a role model both on and off the court. As a player, he's dynamic. Explosive at both ends and constantly improving, and he will make one of the All-NBA teams this season. Off the court, he may be even more of a role model. Although he left college after just one year, he took a master's-level course in his first semester at Cal Berkeley. Since joining the NBA at age 20, he's spoken out on societal issues and taken a leadership role in the Players Association. He's given speeches at Harvard, Cal, and MIT on the importance of education and technology. He sponsors programs for inner-city kids to embrace education. He's been part of winning teams every season and provided many spectacular plays. But in Boston, he's second fiddle to Jason Tatum, which is too bad. And he's recently made some comments about the toxic nature of some Boston fans. That ought to send shivers down the collective spine of Celtics Nation. Even if you don't agree with every position Jalen takes, he is clearly working for a more positive society. And combined with his athletic and leadership skills, Jalen Brown is exactly the type of player and person that the Celtics' late great icon Bill Russell would admire. And so do I. Good points there, Bruce. I think that's an interesting opening tip and definitely one that all fans should consider. World B, what do you have for your opening tip? The verbal abuse of players towards the referees in the NBA is just getting worse. It's definitely not getting better. Just in the last few weeks, we had uh, Trey Young get ejected for tossing the ball too hard at the referee. We've had players like Draymond Green, Dylan Brooks, and Luka Doncic pick up their 16th technical of the season, uh, worthy of a one-game suspension. Dylan Brooks actually picked up, went on to pick up 18, the magic number, 18 technicals, which got him another game suspension. It should be noted Luka had his rescinded on Monday, so he was able to play in Monday's uh, game against the Pacers. But it's, you know, and on top of that, Luca is just uh, a few days removed from getting a $35,000 fine for making a, a money gesture towards official at the end of their game last week. Uh, it's just getting worse. And it's really something that's going to have to have to be addressed by the NBA in the offseason. It's just becoming a bad look for the league, whichever side you want to go on, whether you support the players in this, that the referees are terrible or whether you support the referees that the players are, have too much power and whining too much. It's something that has to be addressed because this is becoming an issue. Jeff Van Gundy had to comment about it on another podcast uh, this past week. It's becoming a real serious issue. And we're only 16 years removed from the Tim Donahue scandal, but it's still there. And all these things just, add up and it's going to get worse if it's not addressed uh soon 
I totally agree with you, World B. And the interesting thing is we have a lot of these veteran referees that are starting to fade out and retire. So we got some newbies coming into the system and certainly don't want to set that precedent with them if this is how they're going to be treated with uh, the current NBA players today. As for my opening tip, I wanted to focus on uh, the big Saturday night matchup between the Milwaukee Bucks visiting the Denver Nuggets. This was the top two teams in their uh, respective conferences going mano y mano, and the Bucks were on the second night of a back-to-back that should be noted. But I think all credit in this one should go to the Denver Nuggets because their defense in that second half blew me away. I mean, they made each and every Milwaukee Bucks offensive player feel them defensively with physicality. Giannis had 20 points in that first half. He only ended with 31, so he scored 11 in that second half. Uh, much credit to the uh, halftime adjustment that the Nuggets made. Uh, if, if they play that kind of defense, I am definitely going to be on board uh, the Nuggets bandwagon for a Western Conference finals trip this year because uh, they definitely put it to the Milwaukee Bucks, the team that does have the best uh, off, uh, defense in the NBA. And the Nuggets went on to score 100, 129 points. I mean, they just picked them apart all game long, obviously led by their leader and Nikola Jokic. Jokic had 31 points, 11 assists, and six rebounds. So uh, I was super impressed with what Denver showed me on Saturday night and want to give them a nice hat tip here before we get to our first quarter. So well done there, Denver. And with that, let's get to our first quarter and talk about a team that's unlike the Denver Nuggets right now, and that is the Dallas Mavericks. They are a dumpster fire. They're now out of a playing spot. And to make matters worse, they don't even hold the tiebreaker over the Oklahoma City Thunder if both teams were to end up with identical records. And Bruce, I'll start with you. What's your take on this whole Dallas situation? Ever since they made the trade for Kyrie Irving, I mean, it's just been a downhill slide for these guys. I mean, the Mavs are 7-13, and and while Kyrie has missed five of those games, the team is just 6-9 and nine when he plays, although Monday night they did pick up a victory, so now they, they would be 8-13 uh, and 13 and then 7-9 and nine when he plays. Um, you can't blame it all on him, but it seems that wherever he goes, things just seem to go south. Luka Doncic has been frustrated. In the 13 games he's played since the trade, the team is, well, the 14 games now, the team's just 4-10. and 10. So what has changed to make him so unhappy? I would suggest it might be the addition of Kyrie Irving. World B? You know, you know when, when right before, the day that they were going to play their first game together, Luka and Kyrie, the Mavs were in fourth place in the West. It's hard to, it's hard to fathom, but they were. They were in fourth place. 31 and 26, and now they're you know now they're 37 and 39 after Monday's win. But they entered the they entered uh, Monday in 11th place, as Bruce said. I had a playoff picture. They're just four and eight now when both have played in in the games together. And entering uh, Monday, they were three and eight, but they'd only been outscored by one total point over the course of those 11 games. So it's a little mis. The record is a record as Bill Parcells once said there with the Giants. But, you know, it is a little misleading. It's only been one point they've been outscored. But, you know, you can't go – your season's on the line, your playoff's on the line, and you get swept in a home-and-home by Charlotte. Now, I'm a big Hornets fan here. I I got them. But you get <laughs> – you can't one. have that happen without a mellow ball who hasn't been around for a couple of weeks. And you get you know whooped by them. You only scored 106, 107 points for 100 possessions over the two games. 
it's just it's inexcusable when you're trying to get a playoff or I was probably the lone guy of the three that was a fan of the trade simply because I thought they needed to go for it. At the time of the trade, if you remember, the West was really unsettled. Memphis wasn't playing well. Denver was slumping. So we, there, it was there, for, we thought, for the taking, and it's just been a dumpster fire uh, in Dallas <laughs> since this trade. Hey, guys, Russ, I never understood this deal. You bring in somebody like Kyrie when you think you're close to competing for a title or perhaps to show your resident star that you're trying something, anything, uh, to improve the team. But it always felt like Kyrie was likely to be a rental for the rest of the season. And then when he walks, if he walks this summer, the disaster is compounded because of the loss of talent the Mavericks traded to get him. I mean, in exchange for Kyrie and Markeith Morris, who's just an aging you know, veteran piece at, the, at this point, Brooklyn got Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, three draft picks, and three trades, trade swaps. You don't make that deal unless you're really kind of going for the championship this year, Ross. Yeah, no, it was definitely a lot to give up for a guy like Kyrie Irving, who's certainly a distraction within himself. I was under the impression that, you know, he would be under his best behavior here as he's looking to try to earn a new contract. Uh, but boy, I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith is the one that I had talked about a lot uh, earlier on this season on the podcast. And uh, he was on a team-friendly deal. He was probably their best defensive player, definitely a versatile swingman that can guard some small ball fours and, of course, any type of two threes in the league. Um, so I think they definitely miss him a ton. He was a great floor spacer hanging out in the corners as well. And, uh, yeah, you talk about those draft picks. I mean, those are definitely going to come back to haunt him with or without Kyrie heading into this offseason. At this point, I would almost assume that Kyrie Irving is going to be allowed to walk. I don't know why they would want to keep him at this point. Uh, but to add to that, Bruce, another thing that's pretty interesting is if they don't make the play-in this year, the Dallas Mavericks actually have a swap with the New York Knicks. So say they get like the 11th pick in this year's draft, New York would actually get that. And now that, that, that's due to the Kristaps Porzingis deal. That was made a couple of wow. years ago. So <laughs> you want to talk about what they gave out to Brooklyn. They might even have some more uh, issues with the other team in New York with another possible pick swap. So things aren't looking too bright in uh, in Dallas these days. You know, you talked about how you thought Kyrie would maybe be a little bit more chill once he got to Dallas. Yeah. Here's, here's how well-behaved he was after the home <laughs> loss to Charlotte. On Friday, okay, the Mavericks were booed by the home fans. And what was Kyrie's response? Quote, so what? You obviously want to play well, but it's only five people on the court that can play for the Dallas Mavericks. If the fans want to change places, then hey, be my guest. Got years of work ahead to be great enough to be on this level. It's like, I'm sorry. I mean, that's like middle school, schoolyard stuff. I mean, that's just beneath any... NBA player to say that, particularly someone of his stature. Yeah, I totally agree. I think sometimes you got to take the old uh, saying as it goes, you know, sometimes the best response is no response. When you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. I mean, I just don't understand how this guy hasn't learned any of his lessons here. I mean, I mean, Bruce, you worked in media, uh, World B, you worked in media. How easy is it to say no comment? You know, next question. Like, I'm not I'm not talking about it. Of course, this guy always has to sound off on everything. 
And I feel like it just puts him in an even worse position. So not a great look for Kyrie, not a great look for Dallas. And, um, you know, Lucas certainly seems pretty distraught at this time. Apparently he's got some things going on behind the scenes as well uh, with some distractions off the court. So hopefully everything is all right on his front, but just not where you want to be right now. We've talked about teams trying to peak at the right time. This team's doing the opposite of that. They're tanking at the wrong time and uh, <laughs> certainly uh, wouldn't be uh, betting on the, on the Mavericks at this point. I just don't see many uh, positive signs uh, moving forward. And by the way, how, what happens, what happens after this season if Lucas frustrates you, he's clearly frustrated these days. What happens after the season if he, uh, you know, if Kyrie goes and he's there all alone again? They'll have cap space, you would figure, you know, with Kyrie going to get a max player potentially if there's one out there that fits. But I mean, he, you know, where's his future going to be then? Is it going to stay in Dallas? Is he going to want out? I, I no idea, but that's where we're at with this the way things are going in this trade. Based on the fact that he's now been on four NBA teams and and has really left three of them in an awful way and is in the process of burning number four to the ground, what general manager will give this guy a maximum deal? I mean, somebody out there is probably going to do it, but I just... I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, but it, it just seems like, you know, nobody ever learns. Kyrie's talent is just too uh, irresistible, I guess, for, for people to turn down. But, you know, at some point it's like, you know what? You know, we're, we're talking about somebody who will blow up your locker room at some point. Yeah. No, I think the only general manager that comes to my mind is uh, LeBron James, who's also now the team doctor for himself. I'm not not sure if you guys saw that, but uh, I, I saw that. <laughs> if, if anyone's crazy enough to do it, we know LeBron is. But uh, yeah, should... Doctor J is born, reborn. <laughs> yeah, and uh, with that, my last point I wanted to say on uh, the Mavericks losing that home and away against the Char the Charlotte uh, Hornets was the fact that. Charlotte was a plus 16 and a half point underdog in Friday on Friday in Dallas. That Charlotte victory was the largest point spread covered in the NBA this season. So Charlotte yet again did it on Sunday on their own home floor. They were a plus 12 and a half point underdog at home in Sunday's rematch. And yet, yet again, they, they were victorious in that one. So quite incredible weekend uh, by Charlotte and anyone that took those bets. <laughs> Some good money line returns on on the Hornets that we yeah. over the weekend, I'm sure. Yeah, I just watched. But, uh, I watched some of that game on Sunday, and I swear to God, I mean, Dallas wasn't even trying. I saw Maxi Kleber standing flat footed under the defensive board and just letting Charlotte get offensive rebounds. It's like, dude, you know, you need to at least pretend to try. Yeah, and why not make a trade for John Collins instead of Kyrie? John Collins was for the taking. We're talking about a Mavericks team that has Christian Wood, Maxi Kleber, and uh, Dwight Powell as their only bigs. Those are the only three bigs that play that typically play on a daily basis for that team. John Collins could probably help. He's a lob threat too for the for Luca. I don't know. He's but, also a Dallas native, so coming home would be great for him. Point. Yeah, it was a it was a it was an attempt, but yeah, at, we said at the time it was an attempt by Dallas to go for it. To try and compete, and it just they whiffed. 
They yep. swung and missed it. Not not to get up baseball with the MLB starting up this week, but it was a big swing and a miss in Dallas. Well, for our second quarter, let's talk about another team that seemed to have swung and missed on a trade. That is the Minnesota Timberwolves. But I will say, to give them some credit here, they are being led by a cat right now, and they are starting to heat up here. They had a big win on Sunday night in, uh, in Golden State, winning 99 to 96 big road victory for that squad looking to make a playoff push here and world B we'll start with you since you're the Ant-Man uh, fan on the show here uh what do you think of these Timberwolves lately uh well geez three in a row after they lost three straight they obviously responding well with uh Carl Anthony Towns on the court he uh in the two games he's been back they've outscored when he's been on the court they've outscored their opponents by 13 over 13 points per 100 possessions. That's pretty that's pretty solid stuff. The defense really came through on Sunday. It was their best defensive effort since the All-Star break holding the Warriors to uh less than a point per possession. And you know, that's for the Warriors at home, that's their thing. They you know, they play great at home and they're terrible on the road. And Minnesota really did the job. Like I said, their their best uh effort on uh on defense they're, they're hitting the three-pointer on offense. They're shooting about 47% during the win streak. And Sunday was the first time. They don't take a lot of threes traditionally, the, the uh, Wolves don't. Sunday was the first time that over half their points in a game came from the three-pointer. So, they you know, if they can keep that going and get Anthony Edwards back, Carl Anthony Towns being back, is you're going to see more three-pointers and you're going to see more of their shots become three. So, it's a good situation right now for them. They're having a, a good run right now, and they're responding to somebody's presence, unlike uh, the team we just talked about in Dallas. You know, the Wolves are, are a team that doesn't really get a whole lot of national exposure. You don't see them on ESPN and, and TNT very frequently. But this team has talent, and they also have depth. You mentioned Anthony Edwards. Dude is spectacular. I mean, you know, more than 24 a game, almost six rebounds, more than four assists, 1.6 steals. Okay, that's a pretty big number. Rudy Gobert, although he has been a disappointment in many ways, does give them rim protection and rebounds. Mike Conley came over uh, from Utah, and he's provided some really mature play at point guard. Uh, he's got a four-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, so he takes care of the ball. And the rest of the supporting cast is actually pretty strong. Kyle Anderson, right? A guy that most people couldn't pick him out of a lineup, okay? This was his line on Sunday against the Warriors. 12 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 steals. His steal from Draymond Green set up Cat for the winning three-pointer with 11 seconds left. So this is a team, and, and we haven't even gotten to Naz Reed yet. We'll talk a little bit about him in a moment. But this team is a team that, you know... They are playing their best ball at the right time. And with the return of Cat, um, you know, they're a real wild card in the Western Conference. I mean, they're only a game and a half out of fourth right now. Yeah, Chris Finch has these guys playing competitive basketball on both ends. And I think a lot of their defense leads to their offense. Uh, kind of looking at this box score, didn't get a chance to watch this game. But what I found super interesting is the fact that Carl Anthony Towns went – five of 16 from the field, four of which were three pointers. So you're telling me he only had one, one inside the arc uh, shot that was made, but uh, 
Bruce, I think we got to address the elephant in the room here because, uh, I mean, the second highest leading scorer on the team was Cat with 14 points. Who led the team in points? Off the bench in 20 minutes, Nas Reed. 23 points, 10 of 17 shooting. I'm not saying that this guy should win sixth man of the year award, but I think at this point he should definitely be receiving some votes. What are your thoughts? He's a talented big. I've been talking about him for many, many shows at this point. I'm a huge fan. He's a talented big. He's a legitimate tough guy. He could start at center for many NBA teams, but you know, right now he's playing behind Gobert. And as you mentioned, on Sunday, he played 21 minutes, 21 minutes, had 23 points, six rebounds. His plus minus of plus eight was the second best on the team. And in the month of March, okay, he's playing just over 19 minutes a game average and scoring just over 15 points in 19 minutes and like 30 seconds of playing time. This dude is legit. And there was talk he might get traded at the trade deadline. I Sometimes, the, like you <laughs> said earlier, Ross, the best move is the one you don't make. And this guy yep. is a huge factor. By the way, to to uh, pile on what you just said, Bruce, since the All-Star break, Nas Reed is averaging 16 points a game in less than 21 minutes on the court. Nobody else. That, that leads everybody in terms of players since the All-Star break with less than 21 minutes on the court. The next closest in scoring average, nobody has even 11 points a game in less than 20 minutes, 21 minutes on the court. He's getting the most out of his production on the, on the court. Yeah, he is a definite difference maker since the All-Star break for this team. And then an- and another know, big factor in this game is the fact that this was the sixth and seventh seeds in the West matching up with one another. Minnesota now finds themselves just a half game out of that sixth spot where they would you know, completely – uh, avoid that plan scenario. So uh, that was a big win as far as the standings in the Western Conference was concerned. But Bruce, I know you had some more thoughts. No, all I was going to say is this team can really shoot the ball. I mean, they are third in the NBA in team field goal percentage. They shoot 49.1% from the floor as a team. That's a huge number. And they also share the ball. They're tied for eighth in assists almost 26 assists per game. So we know that they're pretty scrappy on defense. They have the good interior D with with Gobert. They are good shooters, and really they're young, and they're up and coming. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of the other teams in the Western Conference are thinking maybe, you know, it would be great if we didn't have to play them in the first round. They got they – got, the good thing about Sunday's win is you got Anthony Edwards back after his – ankle injury to play alongside cat because they've only been together on the court for 22 games now and the whole season. And they're just 11 and 11 for the season when both teams, both players are on the court. So it will really be interesting to see how it going forward with both those guys. If they can stay healthy on the court together, see how they respond. Cause that, you know, if they want to make an impact in the playoffs, not just a play in tournament, but in the playoffs, you, you want both guys on the court to, you want to see Minnesota at their best with Rudy there, and let's see what they can do with this lineup and uh, all the other surrounding pieces like we talked about with Reed and everybody else. Let's see what they can do with everybody on the court. Yep, we haven't had many moments of that so far this year. Uh, Bruce, any other final thoughts on uh, the second quarter here? Yeah, well, just looking ahead, you know, four of their final seven games are on the road. So, you know, the schedule won't be exactly easy. Uh on Monday night, they're at SAC. Then they're at Phoenix. 
They get the Lakers at home, Portland at home, then at Brooklyn, at San Antonio, and then home against New Orleans. So the schedule's got a few tough games on there, but the way they're playing, I mean, you know, you could easily see them going four and three, maybe five and two in those games and and ending up in a really nice spot uh, heading into the postseason. So uh, good job by the Wolves. Absolutely. And uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with our third quarter. And now we're going to shift things here to the Eastern Conference and talk about the beasts in the East. And that is Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, and Cleveland, all heating up here during this critical time. And uh, Bruce, why don't you paint a picture of what's going on in the Eastern standings right now? All right. Well, look, Milwaukee wins on Monday night. So they're now up to 54 wins. Uh, they appear to be the best team in the league at this point. But the hottest team right now in the East is Cleveland. They've won four straight. They've won nine of their last 11. They have everything except playoff experience as a group. It's kind of similar to Sacramento, okay? They have a lethal starting backcourt. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are giving them 49 points a game between them. They got two young bigs in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley that provide scoring, rebounding, and rim protection. They get nearly 21 points a night off the bench with Karis LeVert and Jetty Osman. And on defense, they allow the fewest points per game in the league, and they've led this category all season long. You don't need to score a ton of points when you defend like they do, but they can also score. So this team is really a, a team probably not going to go deep this year, although I wouldn't put it past them. But this team is clearly set up for a really bright future, and, and the future could be now. Will be? Well, you know, Cleveland, it's it's a great thing. Their first playoff appearance without a, you know LeBron James on the team since 1998. And they're going to be trying, you know, they look like they're going to be in the fourth spot in the in the East. They haven't won a playoff series without LeBron in 30 years since 1993. You have to go all the way back. So they're, they're going to be pumped up in Cleveland for this one for sure. You know, we talked about it last week, and I think I mentioned it before. There are three teams in the league that rank top 10 in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. You have the Celtics, you have the 76ers, and you have the Cavaliers. So they can do – clearly they can do it on both ends. And – they're really playing, like Bruce said, they're they're playing the best of the bunch right now at a time when they need to. Because if you look at the four teams that we're talking about, the last their last ten games, Milwaukee is seven and three, Boston seven and three, Philly is seven and three, and you have Cleveland at eight and two. So they had to play well, and they are playing well. So you really gotta like the way they've responded and how they've really made this push towards the playoffs. They didn't have that last year. They were, they got off to a really good start last year. And they kind of faded now, but they're a different team. Darius Garland is another year in the league, and Donovan Mitchell is a star. So they have the the players to, you know, carry out this end of the season run. And as we saw Donovan Mitchell in, in years past in the postseason, he can carry a team. He can carry an offensive load in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is their year, Bruce. I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think this is a good year to just kind of gain that playoff experience. Um, I kind of question whether or not, you know, they'll be able to get past uh, 
say a second round, but uh, I think just getting there with this young group, you know, they're similar to like the Minnesota Timberwolves having some younger players carrying the team. Um, you know, I think that experience is only going to help them build momentum towards the future. And uh, they're going to be a tough out with, with a closer like uh, Donovan Mitchell, but Another team I wanted to talk about here, Bruce, and th this has to get you a little happy now. Uh, Philly has now lost two straight. They're playing in uh, in Denver tonight, and uh, they're without Embiid. So they're down early here, uh, 18 to 25. No Embiid. Joker should have a field day. It's looking like Philly might lose three straight, helping out your Boston Celtics. What's your thoughts on the, uh, the 76ers? Well, you know, you can't help but admire what Embiid's done this year. I mean, he's had an M MVP caliber year, leads the league in scoring. Uh, James Harden, when he's been healthy, has done a little bit of everything on offense, um, leading the league in assists while scoring more than 21. But we said last Thursday, prior to this road trip, we said that um, their, this three-game road trip would probably tell us a little bit about whether they were a championship-level team or not. They lost the first two games at Phoenix and Golden State with no James Harden. Uh, and, you know, on Monday night, as you just mentioned, they're in Denver uh, with Embiid not playing against Nikola Jokic. Uh, that was going to be really fascinating as a one-on-one -on -one because that could have really gone a long way towards influencing the voting in the MVP race. I mean, because uh, most people have those guys 1-2 two, or 2-1. Two, I myself believe it's Giannis, but I mean, I'm – totally in a minority when it comes to that. Um, but uh, if they can somehow or another pull out this win tonight uh, on Monday night, if they could have, as we're recording this, uh, uh, if they could have pulled it off, they'd still probably be a little bit on Boston's heels. But if they lose it, I mean, it pretty much guarantees they're going to finish uh, third in the East. Yeah, that's the way it's looking uh, as of now. And uh I, I, these last three games uh, have been pretty much my frustration with the entire season, trying to evaluate a lot of these teams is the fact that, as you mentioned, Harden was out the first two and beads out tonight. How do we get a grasp on, on, on really where these teams stand? I mean, especially when we look at the Western conference, not to take our conversation there, but like it's been so hard to kind of get a grip on, on where every team is right now with guys sitting on different nights and, you know, having different injuries of some sort. But um, as much as I would love Giannis to win the MVP this year, I think this is MB's year. I think he's finally going to win it this year. I think voter fatigue is going to set in for the Joker. And I think him leading the Philadelphia 76ers to a top three finish in the East and leading the league in points is going to get the job done for him. But uh, Worldby, what's your thoughts on Embiid and the Sixers? Well, I mean, I'm I uh, am the lone person who think it's going to be a three P for for the Joker. So, yeah, uh, Bruce is not in a minority on this show, at least when it comes to <laughs> thinking Giannis is is the MVP. Because that you guys get me two to one on that one. Uh, but yeah, there's they're having a little bit of a slip up. I'm a I've been really impressed this year the way uh, James Harden has played. Bruce mentioned how he's leading the league in assists. His assist to turnover ratio is is over three, so it's a career high for him. For a guy who's one or two, I think he's second or third in uh, touches and uh, time of possession. So he's still the guy who has the ball in his hands more, just about more than anybody in the league. But he's being uh, 
much better, taking much better care with it. He can still put up a 25 spot when it's needed. They're going to need it in the playoffs. Uh, he's got the experience, even though he had the rep for not being a, a playoff performer, if you will. Uh, they have a really good shot. You know, you're going to, you're going to have hiccups from time to time. The team that I'm, I can't believe I'm talking about them right now. The Celtics have been on fire the last three games, three in a row, and they've dominated all three games. They have a net efficiency over those three games of 31 points per 100 possessions. That's incredible. The fourth quarter of the three games, they've won by a combined total of 42 points. It's ridiculous. I know one of the games was the Spurs. I, I get the opponents, but it's not like the Boston Celtics have been doing anything against anybody recently until this run. So, you know, they've been – They've been on fire here, and they're just you know just like uh, the other teams. They're one of the teams that's top ten in offense and defense. So I think they you got to respect where they're at and how they've done it this year. And they're heading into the postseason, the final week of the season, uh, played about as well as you want. You know, I want to I want to add on to your Celtic, but I just want to back up a half second to Philly because we're talking a little bit about, you know, the kind of doom and gloom of this road trip. But they really do have a chance to change the narrative later this week. I mean, they're visiting Milwaukee on Sunday and then they host Boston next Tuesday. But they need a healthy Harden and they need a healthy Embiid and they've got to have a strong closing kick if they hope to move up to number two. It's not impossible, uh, but it's funny. They've won 37 of their last 50 games. But they started 12 and 12, and both Boston and Milwaukee started off way better than that. So, in spite of the fact that the Sixers have been hot for three months, only for like one day were they able to pass Boston for the second spot. And they've basically been living in that third spot all year. So, uh, but but here's the thing regular season is regular season. Star players and great coaches come to the fore in the playoffs. Philly's got two star players and they've got a great coach in Doc Rivers who has won a championship and is, you know, a Hall of Fame level coach. So I am not giving up on the Sixers, but they're going to need to, you know, kind of get it in gear real quick. Now, by the way, I said, by the way, we haven't talked a ton about them, but the Milwaukee Bucks are getting their offense in gear and at just the right time. Yeah, that's been my criticism of them all season long. They've been in the bottom at the All Star break. They were in the bottom ten in offensive efficiency. Well, since the All Star break, they they're in the top ten. They're seventh entering Monday, and they're one since the All Star break. They're one of three teams that's in the top ten in offense and defensive efficiency. The Boston Celtics and Memphis Grizzlies being the other two since the break. So with their defense, that's been strong most of the season, and they're getting the offense in gear the way they're supposed to. That's a team that you could totally – they're getting ready for another championship run. Well, let, let's let's go back to the Celtics because, as, a, as we said last Thursday, Robert Williams makes all the difference in the world for that team. As soon as he takes his warm-ups off, he influences that team. Uh, he returned against Sacramento last Tuesday, and in the three games that he's been back, uh, just kind of adding on to what you said, World B., they have beaten their three opponents by a total of 92 points. Jalen Brown has averaged 31, seven boards, and four assists over his last eight games. Uh, and as I mentioned, they briefly slipped into third behind Philly last week, but they quickly regained number two, and now they're ahead of the Sixers by two. Now, if the Boston Celtics can beat the Wizards on Tuesday and the Bucks lose their next game, 
The Celtics could actually grab the top spot in the East with a win at Milwaukee on Thursday because they would have the tiebreaker against Milwaukee. It would be three to one on the season series. Is that likely to happen? I don't know. I think Milwaukee's the best team. I need to see a lot more from Boston before I'm ready to say, yeah, they're definitely better than Milwaukee. I would say they're a very strong number two, uh, but I, I think you know Milwaukee is the, is the team of the moment. And really, um, if you look at everything objectively, that's the team you that should win it. Yeah. No, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, the Bucks are getting their offense in gear here. Uh, one of the biggest reasons for that is the fact that they got Chris Middleton kind of finding his stride uh, at the right time. Better late than never with them, as he was obviously a huge concern earlier on this year. How healthy was he? How effective was he going to be? Seems like he's starting to get it going now, which is awesome timing for them. And, uh, you know, they, they've got their shooters all back as well. I mean, Grayson Allen uh, has been has been heating up. Pat Connaughton's out there. They've added Jay Crowder. Um, so they got a lot of different perimeter tools now that they can also uh, force to, you know, when they have to force it out, when there's doubles coming to Drew or Giannis or even Middleton at times, they've got some perimeter shooters that can make you pay. Um, one quick thing on the Celtics, Bruce, that I find interesting too is the fact that with Time Lord on that defensive end, uh, you know, they, they held the Sacramento Kings, one of the best offices in the NBA, to 109 points at home. Uh, and then since then, they haven't let Indiana or the San Antonio get to the century mark. So um, I got to ask you, put you on the spot here. They play another lowly team in the Wizards. I wouldn't call them that good. They're going to keep that one under 102. I mean, the only team that in the last three games that has broken 100 is the Kings, which I would have been floored if the Kings didn't score 100 points. I don't know if they're going to hold them under 100, but I, the way they're playing right now, I mean, I I see you know I I see Boston winning that game. But here's the thing: if if you get into a blowout situation, um, the final score almost doesn't really matter because you'll see a lot of guys just kind of jacking up shots. The defense kind of lets down a little bit, uh, you know, in the last, say, six minutes of the game. They could hold them to double digits. I don't really think it matters all that much if they do. Uh, the main thing is get ahead of them early, keep your foot on the gas, and then make sure that your 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 starters aren't really playing much after about the first two minutes of the fourth quarter. You want them on the bench, in bubble wrap, staying safe for that Milwaukee game on Thursday. Yeah. No, that should be a fun one there. We'll definitely be tuned in uh, to that one. And uh, with that, let's get right into our fourth quarter here. Uh, we've got a fun little segment for everyone tonight. We're going to do a little show and tell on tonight's show. So, uh Either listen in or go ahead and find uh, Bruce's YouTube page where we'll have a video version of tonight's show to where you can see what we're about to show and tell you about. And uh, Bruce, I'll let you lead us off. What does this look like? It looks like a little green piece of wood. But if you look yeah. a little bit closer, this is a piece of the original parquet floor from Boston Garden signed by wow. none other than Danny Ainge. I got this nine years ago from some Celtics folks that came to see me at ESPN. They're not production people. They were just like people that worked in the front office and, and the ticket office that were just nice people that I had met along the way. And, and I wanted, they asked if they could come up for a tour. And I said, yeah, come on up. And I wasn't expecting anything, 
But they handed me this signed piece of the original Boston Garden, the old garden parquet floor, signed by Danny. My wife told me, she's there, why don't you like get something done with that? Like, you know, because they also sent a really nice note with it. She's there, you should protect that thing somehow. But it's like, I just, you know, it's one of my proud Celtics possessions. And I thought if anybody's watching on YouTube, uh, you know, we might do this again in the future. We all have different memorabilia and stuff. And this was what I wanted to bust out for my first go round. So Danny Ainge signing a piece of the original parquet floor. Uh, and it's just like that's fun awesome. to have. Yeah. What Bruce I mean, fails to mention, what Bruce fails ahead, to mention is they never filled in the spot on the parquet floor where Bruce where that piece went. So there was always that one empty spot there and all the Celtics knew where it was. And that's why they always caught the right bounce and the right breaks there because the opponents didn't realize it. That's the, he, he failed to mention that part. That's why they call it home court. That's that's it. That's it. Well, Well, good, good first impression on the show and tell segment. That one might be tough to top here on tonight's show uh, for what I brought, but world B what do you got for us here tonight? Well, I don't have the original parquet from the Boston Garden. All I got is a piece of Madison Square Garden here. Ooh. And this is something. I'll try and get this right on the screen here. I apologize. Yeah. It was, but there, there it is. Put it, a, put it in front of your face so we can see. We don't need to see you. We well, want to this, see that. This is where I'm looking my best right here. <laughs> so it's a, it's a piece of the Madison Square Garden. And if you can see, it's signed by Bernard King. And that was Very a... Cool. That is cool. It's my was uh, one of my two favorite Knicks of all time, along with Patrick Ewing. And you know, growing up, when I was a little past the uh, Willis and Willis Reed Walt Frazier days, so when I uh, came aboard to follow the Knicks, and when they started becoming good again, Bernard was the man, and he was a uh, league's leading scorer. And Bruce remembers him in '84 because the Knicks took uh, had that famous series with the Pistons, where they beat Isaiah Thomas in Old Joe Lewis Arena in the terrible heat in overtime in five games and then pushed the Celtics to seven games in the, the conference semifinal before losing game seven in the Boston Garden. But that was a gift somebody gave to my father years ago. My dad was a big Knicks fan. And when my father passed a few years ago and I came up, whatever, and my brother and I went through some things, he was nice enough to let me uh, take that back with me. So I've had that back in my office and uh, it's one of my – uh, happy items that I have. All right. Well, I didn't know this was the hardcore edition of uh, show and tell, but if I did, I would have brought out my uh, Vince Carter rookie year game floor. That's in a card. I, ha- I have a card of Vince Carter's that has a piece of the game floor from his rookie year in Toronto. So uh, not as cool as an actual huge tile like you guys have, but uh if I would have known you were bringing that out on tonight's show until I might have busted that out. But since I am the card guy on this show and, you know, was the one that said, hey, let's do some card breaks. I, I thought I'd share uh, three cards that uh, are very meaningful to me and I'll get into them here. The first autograph I ever pulled was in 1998. It's a Nick Van Exel autographed mm-hmm. card here. Now, the cool part here with Nick Van Exel is I went went ahead and ended up working with him as an assistant coach in Milwaukee. Um, so was able to go full circle with that being the first autograph I ever pulled in a card set. 
Now, for my first jersey card that I ever pulled, I have a game-worn jersey patch of Kobe Bryant. This Ooh. one was pretty cool. This one came uh, when I was about, I think, in sixth grade here. So this is an NBA warm-up card of Kobe's, which is pretty cool with that patented purple. And last but not least, Bruce, I think you're going to like this one. This is for sure probably the coolest card I ever pulled um, out of a Target pack, a Target here in Phoenix. I got a Bill Russell jersey card, a piece of wow. uh, Bill Russell's jersey, and it's like wool. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I remember going through the packs at Target as I typically cheat and try to feel which one feels a little bit thicker. Well, this one was gigantic. I'm like, I'm buying this one. So I get out to the car to the car rip it open in the parking lot and lo and behold my jaw dropped as i pulled bill russell so uh tonight just thought i'd pull out three of my favorite uh cards that i have in my collection and uh hopefully we can do this again soon because this was a lot of fun but russ you know you inspired me with the whole basketball card thing because i was in target okay. a couple days ago looking for toothpaste or something. I don't know what, <laughs> but in target, there's like one lane in the one I go to oh, yeah. where it's all the different cards. So it's like, it's everything from Pokemon to baseball cards to you name it. There was not one single package of basketball cards there. And I really wanted to buy a package of basketball cards <laughs> because after watching you do that thing, I'm like, well, I just want to open these things up and see who I get. You know, maybe I'll get someone good. And I was so bummed out that there was like not one package of basketball cards available for purchase. So I was I was a little bit unhappy about that, I got to say. It's it's tough to find them these days. The hobby's definitely picked up. And I'm not sure if you saw the sign, but most like places have like limit five because there's so many people going in there buying bulk. So, uh, yeah, trading cards are doing pretty well right now. But hopefully the next time you have to get some... Uh, toothpaste or something you're able to go ahead and grab a pack and maybe we can even open it on on a show and then i'll get i'll get stuck with delano banton and uh all these different rookies you guys don't know you guys can challenge me with a few guys <laughs> you know i got a bunch of older basketball cards you know that are in sort of like you know plastic like you know folders you know like sheets whatever yeah. Maybe one week we'll kind of maybe that'll be a show until one week, you know, because look, how many people would just get a thrill from seeing my Danny Shays Milwaukee Bucks basketball <laughs> card from, you know, 1996. I'd be more right. impressed if you had Dolph Shays card personally, but, you know, that's I don't I don't have Dolph um, Shays. <laughs> I don't I don't know if they even had basketball card back then when he played. No, no Syracuse Nationals cards. No Syracuse Nationals. <laughs> So with that, uh, let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts here as we close out tonight's uh, podcast. And uh, Bruce, we'll go ahead and start with you. All right. Uh, hang on a second now. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Ben Simmons, okay? Ben Simmons, right. I mean, where, where did it go wrong for Ben Simmons? With the recent news that a nerve impingement in his back will keep him out the rest of the season, it's another lost year for the number one overall pick in 2016. Although he's just 26 years old, he's missed two entire seasons and half of this season. Besides poor health, he's suffered from poor shooting, especially at the free throw line. The 2021 playoffs were the beginning of his rapid descent as the Sixers lost a seven-game series to Atlanta, with Simmons missing 30 of his 45 free throw attempts and causing his coach, Doc Rivers, to question whether Ben could be the point guard on a championship team. 
Simmons then held out before being traded to Brooklyn just over a year ago in the deal that brought James Harden to the Sixers. He's got two years left on his contract, and it's worth more than $78 million. It's unlikely the Knicks could trade him, so Brooklyn stuck with him. But even when he was failing at the offensive end, he remained a great defender, an excellent rebounder, and a solid passer. So he has some important skills that haven't diminished. Hoop fans are going to root for Ben to get healthy. And when he does, he needs to work on the rest of his game. And when he and and hopefully he'll regain his confidence. But it won't be easy. And we'll see if he loves the game enough to do what it takes to return to his all-star form. NBA Nation and probably everybody on this show wishes him well. That is for sure. And it's hard, it's hard to really bet on him, you know, trying to regain that form just because of the fact that. He has that big money coming through the door already. It's all guaranteed. I mean, what else does he have to really play for or work for at this point? That's that's the concern I have with Ben Simmons. It's just the contract situation. World B, what do you have for final thought? Well, as we near the end of the regular season, once we start hitting the playoffs and the postseason, the big debate outside of the playoffs themselves will be the MVP voting because there's a lot, a lot of speculation. There's a lot of uh, interest in – which uh, of the three is going to get that. The next uh, awards that are worth that I'm going to be paying attention to are the All-NBA selections. And while normally these aren't that big of a deal, there's a lot riding on for some of these players to get on the first, second, or third team. Players like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam are eligible or are able to earn Supermax eligibility status on their contracts if they get to be one of the uh, – earned one of the first, first, second, or third team All-NBA selections. It would figure that Jason Tatum would as an MVP candidate. The other two, it could be an interesting way to see how it turns out. And another guy who we probably thought a month ago was sure to get on the All-NBA team maybe isn't that certain anymore, and that's John Morant after the scheme's missed and everything. And he stands – if he gets an All-NBA selection – gets to be one of the top six guards and you know when it's all said and done. His contract, which five-year deal, is supposed to pay him about, projected to be about $194 million. It would increase to over $230 million if he were to be an All-NBA selection this year. So there's a lot, right? You know, we're all interested in seeing which guys make the first, second, and third team. These players will be the ones sitting there watching as well. So pay attention when you see this and see how much it impacts them as well. And, and real quickly here, I got to ask you guys, I'm glad you brought that up, Will B. Are you guys for or against the fact that, you know, the NBA media gets to vote and then it actually does, like, impact the financials of these players? Are, are you for it or against it as far as it being that big a difference based on media votes? Bruce? Well, well you know, uh, my buddy Mark Stein, who – was with ESPN for a million years and he was with the New York times. Now he has his own Substack. He was saying the other day that when he, he used to vote on the awards when he was at ESPN, but when he went to the New York times, they forbid their reporters from voting on, on the all NBA teams. So, uh, but he has carried that forward into his Substack world. So he, he, he could vote now. He, they want him to vote, but he doesn't want to. And it was, and it is for that reason. He doesn't want to feel responsible if somebody makes it or doesn't make it. He doesn't want to have any sort of connection to the finances of the players. So at least from Mark's point of view, 
he's opted out of it. But I think a lot of writers probably feel good about the fact that they can influence that stuff because they consider themselves the experts. And in many cases, they are. They watch a lot of games. They go to games. They talk to people. So I think Steiny is probably a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, me personally, if I was in that situation where they, you know, I could either vote or not vote, I think I would choose to vote. Uh, only because I consider myself to be an objective person and I would vote fairly, even if it meant, you know, costing somebody on a team that I like some money. If I don't think they deserve it, I'm not voting for them. Gotcha. Well, B? It's a difficult situation. Uh, no question about it. it. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it didn't, it wasn't a big deal. And the way the rules are in place now, where so much is right, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. Uh, I tend to side with Bruce on this. If I had a vote, I think I uh, obviously would be objective and and wouldn't let that play into any, uh, any wouldn't factor into my vote. On the other hand, you're going to read about, I read about it the other day about all this. It's going to be in your head. It's, it's easy to think that way if you know what's riding on it. Not that it should influence you. It should never influence you. You're not get, getting any of that cut. Uh, you would hope if you're truly a man of integrity. <laughs> yeah. um, and But who's to say that that isn't somewhere down the road? Um, it leaves you open to that, that possibility. That being said, I would probably, I'd like to think I would have, be objective and have the integrity to, if I was, uh, honored with the with the right to vote uh, that I would take it seriously. I so I would uh, I would vote if I had the ability to. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'm for sure out on this. I I would I'm I'm kind of with Mark here. I don't I don't think I would want anything to do with it. Uh, I wouldn't want to feel biased in any means. I don't I don't want to have anything to do with the player financials. But uh, an interesting thought for sure. Um, as for my final thought here. I wanted to talk about Jordan Nora, who broke the Pacers franchise record for points in a single quarter by scoring 25 in the third quarter against the Atlanta Hawks on Saturday night. I'm typically a big protector of my personal favorite individual in-game achievements, and Nora was able to notch a point above my two favorite uh, quarters of all time for players. Number one being Martel Webster's 24 points in a quarter against the Jazz in 2008. And Emmanuel Moutier's 24 points in the first quarter against Bruce's Celtics in Boston in 2016. Keeping those memories in mind, what really impressed me going back watching Nora's 25-point quarter was how effortless it was. There was one, maybe two heat checks in total. Everything else just came within the flow of the game and the Pacers' offense, which was super impressive. Nora ended up having 33 points in 33 minutes. And unfortunately, despite the epic night, the Pacers still lost the game. But add Nora to what seems to be a growing list of intriguing young players on that Pacers roster. The roster is far from sexy, but they've certainly got some developing pieces and are a young team on the rise. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on Friday to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great day, everyone. So long, y'all.